Welcome to the Marvelous Post Blip Podcast, a podcast on all things Marvel on the Band Girl Zone. I'm Steve. I'm Mischievous Dave, and today we're talking about episode two of season one of Moon Knight titled Summon the Suit, written by Michael Castellan and directed by Justin Benson and Aaron Moorhead. Well, what did you think of this episode? Oh, a lot of fun. A lot yes. of fun. I know we're not rating it. But if we did, I would give it four out of five. I just can't figure out four out of five cycle Colonel Sanders or four out of five floats like a butterfly, stings like a bee, and my stump still steaming spell with a bee. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was so funny. Yeah. He's such a character. I hope they keep him on the entire season, but he's behind the glass now. Darn it. Yeah. I'm yeah. hoping this. <laughs> but it was a lot of fun. Yes, it was. It was great to actually see Stephen get. His suit. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. Mr. Knight. <laughs> yeah. That was a great transition. Yes, it was. Where'd that come from? And he almost stuck the landing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm going to give Pretty him good. a B for effort. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, this so, was an awesomely fun episode. Yes, very fun. So a quick little recap for you. We got uh, a little time to react. Steven is thrust into a war of the gods as a mysterious partner arrives. Well, Stephen Grant is startled awake following some vicious nightmares. However, his ankle restraints are still on and the sand circling his bed remain undisturbed. Boy, Mark must really have to do a lot of work to... (laughs) I know. Comes back to bed with a... He's been in bed the whole time. Yeah, fresh sand. (laughs) Yep. Once again, was it a dream or not? At work, JB alerts Stephen that certain sections of the museum are quartered off under the dubious excuse of burst pipes. So Stephen convinces the security guard to let him review the security footage from the evening before, warning JB that what he will see will melt your brain. (laughs) Bruv. Yeah, bruv. (laughs) Unfortunately for Stephen, the footage only shows him as being the only person present, crying, running, and knocking into museum property. JB cannot see the Egyptian jackal Stephen claims was there as well. And he calls him a donut, too. Yeah. <laughs> what are you doing, you donut? <laughs> uh, it sucks to have an, an invisible monster. No one yes. else can see chasing you. <laughs> you should have known, Stephen. Yeah. The museum agrees not to press charges against Stephen. They recognize he has been struggling recently, and they have a handful of doctors they'd be willing to set up an appointment with. Well, his boss must have had nothing to do with that. She doesn't have any compassion towards Stephen at all. No, not at all. I'll throw him to the jackals. Later, Stephen explains to Crawley, the street performer, that he is, was sacked for being a vandal, but thankfully not arrested. Weighing his options out loud, he can't possibly be mad. The things he found in, hidden in his flat, such as a key and phone, are, are real. Maybe, just maybe, if he can find that storage locker and the mysterious key is connected to, he can prove it. Yeah, good idea. We finally see Crawley move. <laughs> I know, he shifts his eyes. Yeah. You think he knows him? I think so. Yeah. I really do. Maybe. Crowley interacts with the the Jake Lockley version. Right, yes. Which, of course, this, you know, Crowley would be going, I know this is supposed to be him, but he didn't talk like that. He wasn't that insecure. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Stephen finally manages to find the storage unit in London. And that was funny because he just kind of walks in and goes, I've been to seven other of these. (laughs) Yeah. And... It could be under Mark. I don't know the surname. (laughs) Oh, I know you. I know that face. I never forget a face. (laughs) Really? Guy's looking at him like, what are you talking about? Of course I know you. (laughs) Yeah. 
However, the mystery only deepens as the only thing in the unit are a cot, emergency supplies, clothes, and a duffel bag containing a passport for Mark Spector, foreign money, a pistol, and the golden scarab. Uh It's all totally real. As the golden scarab hovers above its base, Stephen realizes it's a compass that leads somewhere. Somewhere you probably don't want to go. Yeah. Suddenly, his reflection speaks to him, once again issuing a warning. Via reflection, Mark tells Stephen to take a nap on the cot, (laughs) not to interfere while he handles matters ensuring their safety. (laughs) Incredulous, Stephen states he's never sleeping again. He's so panicky. He's so good at this duality. Yes. (laughs) Amazing acting so far. Yeah. Mark explains that he's an avatar for the Egyptian god of the moon, Khonshu, which ultimately means so is Stephen. The idiot. Yeah. (laughs) In their servitude, they protect the vulnerable and deliver Khonshu's justice to those who hurt them. It all sounds too absurd. Stephen has a mild panic attack and believes he needs to go to the hospital. (laughs) Whimpering. Yeah. Mark further explains their situation. He made a deal with Conchu, which is contingent on Stephen not interfering with their work. Mark pleads with Stephen to give him the body so he can finish their business, and then Stephen won't hear from him ever again. That's likely not to happen. Stephen decides he's going to go straight to the authorities with all this evidence of illegal activity so he can be locked up and never hurt anyone again and remove Mark from his head. <laughs> I don't he's think so that would have worked either. Yeah, he's so mad at Mark. So Stephen rushes out of the storage facility as Kanchu pursues him down the hallway. That was awesome. Deity yells at him to give it back, you fool. Rushing back outside to the streets of London, Stephen stumbles on the street, falling in front of Layla Alfauli, who recognizes him as Mark. Upside down. Yeah. On her moped, Layla drives them to Stephen's flat while navigating London. Layla unloads on Mark. The turmoil and uncertainty he has put her upon her. Of course, she's not worried, but still his wife after all, but... Can he drop the preposterous British cover identity? <laughs> nope. <laughs> that was a bombshell. Yep. At his home, looking at his reflection in the fish tank, Mark warns Stephen to get Layla out of there because he's way out of his depth. That was weird. At first, I thought that was Stephen. He just moved to the other side of the glass. Right. Layla questioned Mark for studying both French and hieroglyphics. Stephen is impressed by Layla. However, she refuses to buy whatever this act is. She hands Mark the divorce papers. And he sent to her, and that was what and she says that's what uh, he wanted. Stephen declares he would never divorce her. He tries his best to make sense of what's been happening. It was so cute. He, you can tell he's enamored with her. Yes. She's quite lovely. I would never divorce you. I can't even go on on a date. Yeah. <laughs> Mark once again warns them that he would only endanger Layla by entangling her with all these matters. Looking inside the duffel bag, Layla is incensed upon finding the golden scarab. Yeah, a compass that points to Ahmed's Ushbati, the very artifact that they both sought side by side to recover. Distressed, Stephen pleads with Layla. He's not trying to, to uh, withhold anything for her. He's not Mark Spector. He's Stephen Grant, who works in a gift shop, who, who does not want anything to do with the Golden Scarab. Yeah, he thinks he's in real danger, and she may be the only person that can help him. That's kind of a duality there. I know he likes her, and he wants to protect her, but do you really want her to expose that no matter what iteration you are? Exactly. Layla is disappointed that he doesn't remember their adventures of their life together. Before they can continue their conversation, Detective Constables Bobby and Billy force themselves in his flat to arrest Stephen Grant as Layla hides outside the window. There's always a convenient window, Steve. Yes. Of course, it did look like she was about to fall. 
Yeah. <laughs> I would say she squatted Spider-Man. down. It looked like she almost lost her balance. Yeah. So even though she's probably been through some adventures, maybe not quite as much as Mark. As we learn, we, she can certainly handle herself. Yes. <laughs> With Stephen arrested and handcuffed in the back seat, DC, Billy, and Bobby discover Mark Spectre is an international mercenary wanted for hitting a dig site in Egypt and executing a group of archaeologists. Instead of taking him to the police station, Stephen realizes they're in a run-down neighborhood. Everyone, including the officers he's with and the inhabitants of the area, bear the same tattoo, the sigil of Amet. So does that mean that uh, Harrow has been going around all over the world to see people? More than into likely, his religion, yeah, I'm sure <laughs> he's got little uh, covenants be- all over the world. Yeah, of course, alone in the car, Stephen screams for help. Both Stephen and Mark wrestle for control of the body. <laughs> That's so weird to say. <laughs> Stephen proclaims he'll never give up the body to Mark. He saw what Mark did in the out. Suddenly, Stephen learns his capture is none other than Arthur Harrow. Harrow now understands the situation. Why Stephen's scales won't balance. Stephen Grant, Mark Spector, Khonshu, there are too many voices in his head. He asks Stephen if Khonshu has selected him as his avatar because he knew he could break his mind or because his mind was already broken to begin with. (laughs) (laughs) Stephen argues, I'm not broken, I just need help. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, Haro affirms that's why he's here, to help Stephen. (laughs) Maybe Haro can help uh, Agnes. Jurati from the Picard episode and get something out of her head. We know that's not working out. (laughs) So time to deliver some real justice. Harold lays out the situation for Stephen. The zealots only want what's best for the world. Take a look around at the commune and all that he's established. It breaks his heart how much pain and suffering there is in the world. He explains to Stephen that Khonshu hasn't changed one bit. In fact, he once served as the Egyptian god of the moon, acting as the fist of vengeance. Without his avatars, all he can do is knock over things with a gust of wind or cause the lights to flicker. However, Kanju's mission is flawed and his tantrums are, are unbecoming, which is why he was banished by the rest of the gods. Think so? Because he was petulant? <laughs> I thought all gods were petulant. Yes, they are. <laughs> Kanju only punishes those who have already done harm once the damage has been done. Well, it's kind of like Superman. I mean, can't be everywhere. Juharo <laughs> <laughs> Kanju only eliminates the symptoms of evil. On the other hand, the Egyptian deity of Amit is real justice, attacking the evil at the root by Casting her judgment, she prevents evil from happening to begin with, which is why he must resurrect the goddess and pledge himself as her avatar. So he's, she's basically Thanos. We don't need all these people. They right. make you do without them. Yes. Yeah, with her power, they can heal the world in a matter of days. That's why they need the golden scarab. The compass will lead them to her tomb. It will be heaven on earth. You know, I can imagine coming out of a tomb. It's not going to be not good. Right. Absolutely. I think it's going to go it's real right. bad. <laughs> Speaking directly to Mark, Harold tells him not to believe Conchu and their deal. He's a liar, and he'll never be set free. There will always be one more last mission. Steven interjects and questions Amit's methods. Kind of save Mark there a little bit. Yes. If she judges people before they commit evil deeds, is she not judging innocent people? Can a thought be evil? Would she kill a child or something that they do 30 years into the future? Harold kind of rolls his eyes. Yeah. Sometimes the cure is a little taste of the disease. The difference between medicine and poison is something is sometimes only a dosage. Uh, splitting hairs, splitting hairs. Yeah, splitting hairs, and I'm not thinking Stephen definitely found uh, a point to jab at yeah. Harrow with. 
in this episode. And yeah, Amit's wipe it out before it starts. Well, that's you're killing innocent people because how can you know for sure that that's what they're going to do? Yeah. No dodgy, as he would say. Yes, just a tad dodgy. (laughs) (laughs) Showing genuine frustration with Stephen, Haro shows him his cane with a double-headed crocodile handle, a gift Amit granted to her original avatar as a gift. It still channels a sliver of her power. Just then, purple energy emanates from the cane while Haro's acolyte slowly back away from Stephen and Haro. Yeah. They yeah. kind of had a feeling that this would not be good. Yeah, I wondered why they were doing that. I thought they would like, oh boy, here's another miracle for us. But as we see, <laughs> not <Yeah>. quite. No. <laughs> Standing beside Stephen, Layla tells him to summit the suit, a request he just does not understand. What are you talking about? <laughs> I know people had trouble with her suddenly appearing with a scarab. Right. I figure she did it uh, in order to uh, get the suit out of him, you know, something that's scary or meaningful or maybe putting herself in danger so Mark can take over? What do you think? Oh, absolutely. Because otherwise, she wouldn't want Harold to have it either, I would imagine. You wouldn't think, seeing that Mark and her had spent all that time looking for it. Yeah. So she hands Stephen the scarab as they begin to flee. Anger, Haro unleashes Emmett's power, releasing the Egyptian jackals on Stephen and Layla. As they search for a way out of the commune, Layla tells Stephen he is Mark and he needs to summon the suit. She's seen him bring it out of himself as Mark demands Stephen to relinquish control of the body. Overwhelmed, Stephen begs for both of them to leave him alone. Gently, Layla addresses Stephen, telling him that they can do this. They'll find another way. Jackal bursts through the room, but only Stephen can see it. That can't be good. (laughs) No. Falling out of the window, Stephen fears he's falling to his death. Well, midair, Khonshu voice booms, demanding Stephen to summon the suit. As his eyes glow, a supernatural protective armor takes form around him. Stephen lands uh, without injury, but doesn't quite stick the landing, as <laughs> superheroes do. Yeah. In a white three-piece suit, complete with a white mask, embodying Mr. Knight. That was awesome. <laughs> Mark is offended they should be wearing this ceremonial armor from Khonshu's temple not a ridiculous suit searching for the scarab in his pocket Stephen discovers a pair of (laughs) truncheons from inside his jacket instead so funny what do I do with these I kind of like them yeah twisting them back and forth and he gets his head pounded yeah Daredevil uses uh, truncheons like that too yes in fact if you go over to the DC side uh, Nightwing uses truncheons also Yep. But you gotta be good. You gotta be good at him. Gotta be very good at him. So, astonished by his newfound strength, you know what that means, too, when he picked this, uh, the Mr. Knight suit, that he does have control. Yes. For some of Khonshu's power, which uh, I guess no one thought possible, or we didn't think possible, at least. No. Did he we had can no manifest that he could have done this. Yeah, he can manifest something himself. That, that should open up a lot of uh, possibilities. So, astonished so by his newfound <laughs> Excited. Did you see that? Did you see what I did? <laughs> I know. He's <laughs> so funny. Mr. Knight wrestles with the jackal while pleading with Layla to stay away from himself and the jackal. It's suddenly knocked over by an invisible beast she cannot see as Brawl spills into the street in front of the bus full of innocent bystanders. Stephen allows Mark to take control to ensure no one gets hurt. That's so funny. A lot of physical comedy there. I'm getting tossed around. Yes. Although at <laughs> one point when he was strangling him, like, is he going to kill him? I mean, he had Layla, too. Yep. 
Then transforming from Mr. Knight to Moon Knight with his crescent blade, Mark lowers the jackal away from the crowd of people. It must have been a relief for Layla to see that again, yes. I guess. <laughs> Moon Knight vanquished the jackal, which dissolves into sand. Still no evidence. The stupid thing's invisible, and then there's no evidence of it was ever around. Right. However, right. he realized yeah, how that how he manages to get it to fall on that spire. That superhero stuff right yes. there. Yes. <laughs> Hand Leaping light. across the buildings and spiking them. You know, he spiked the landing. Yeah. Ah, at least he spiked that one, Steve. Get it? <laughs> However, he realizes in his chase across London, he's lost a scarab. A homeless man comes across the golden scarab just as Harrow approaches it. However, the man is judged by Emmett Scales. Oops. Leila witnesses this horrific scene as the old man's soul is ripped from his body. Elsewhere and away from Harrow, Stephen reacts poorly for being trapped inside and begs Marks to let him switch back. However, without the scarab, he's not ready to give the body back to Stephen. Stephen calls him a parasite, eating away at the parts of his life. Mark isn't without pity. He promised he would leave Stephen alone for good once he completes his last mission. He'd be dead for one for Conchu, and he's happy to repay the debt. Conchu, on the other hand, is livid at the situation at hand. Mark allowed Stephen to interfere. Hmm, yeah, what about that? If Mark is unable to fulfill the relation, he will seek a new candidate as his replacement avatar. Someone near and dear to Mark, Layla. I wouldn't mind seeing her in a suit. Sorry, prob- something went wrong. Hey, <laughs> something went wrong. I'm sorry about that, too. Yeah. My computer. <laughs> Everyone has to chime in, Steve. Yep. And there has to be another way to find Amma's tomb without the compass in there. And before reaches first, Kanchu and Mark make their way to Cairo. Bottle of booze. It's a good thing Rafi from Picard wasn't around. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> there are a lot of similarities in this show and that show, too, the way it's progressing. Yes. Weird. So, Steve, ready for some Easter eggs? Oh, let's do it. All right. So we got some more Moon Knight QR code freebies. QR codes have become so common. Yeah, we better see them every week now. Yes. <laughs> they, they often blend into the scenery, both in real life and on screen. Moon Knight episode one suddenly sneaked in a working QR code into a museum scene, which, when scanned, would take viewers to a Marvel comic book giveaway for the Werewolf by Night issue in which the Moon Knight made his debut. I bet I missed that now. It's probably over. Darn it. This week's QR code is found beside the 43 Mark Spectre's storage locker and will allow fans to download yet another Werewolf by Night issue. Yep, digital issue. He's Spectre's best friend, best uh, in, in the pilot, sidekick, and surrogate family. There's absolutely no one in the Moon Knight's life was closer than Jean-Paul Duchamp. Mark Spector shares his comic counterpart's home city, too. In this Marvel comic, Mark uh, Spector co- hails from Chicago, Illinois, honoring his co-creator, Doug Monick. Now, we've only seen Stevie Grant in the world's uh, least convincing Cockney so far. Moon Knight's episode two reveals Mark's passport, confirming the Windy City as his live-action birthplace, too. Yeah, I sympathize with Steven, but there is no Steven, really. It's always been Mark. Right. Mae Calloway's uh, Layla is the MCU's Marlene Alrun, and despite their different names, the MCU theorists have long suggested that May Calame's Moon Knight character, Leila El Faoli, is actually a live-action interpretation of Mark Spector's comic book love interest, Marlene. Moon Knight all but confirms this in episode 2, revealing Leila is already Mark's wife. Both characters also share a deep interest in Egyptian culture, and Leila being Marlene would also address how the show, what the show knows about Mark's Moon Knight transformation since Marlene brought him to Concho in the comic. Yeah, why would they change that? Yeah, makes no sense. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, we might learn. Yep. Man in the Ice references, like Captain America, when Stephen Grant takes this surprise new wife back to his flat, sorry, his brother's flat, and explains how he can afford it. Layla admires 
if there really is a mother. Well, apparently Mark has one. <laughs> Layla admires Stephen's ex- extensive collection of books, almost as she, she never realized her husband was so well-read. Standing beside one particular shelf, the spine of the book over Layla's right shoulder reads, The Man in the Ice. Now, The Man in the Ice is a genuine archaeology volume written by Conrad Spindler. In the MCU, however, The Man in the Ice can only mean, ever mean one thing, Captain America. It is incredibly pleasing to imagine Moon Knight. Episode 2 might have featured this particular title so prominently because of that tacit connection to Steve Rogers. Either that or they're just teasing us. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> they do like to tease us. Yes. And just as Stephen Grant begins wrapping his head around the having a wife, get it? Wrapping his head? Yes. Moon <laughs> <laughs> Knight Episode 2 brings a pair of police detectives to his door, D.C. Fitzgerald and D.C. Kennedy. But a glance toward the end credits reveals this pair by their real names as Bobby and Billy. In Moon Knight's comics, Bobby and Billy were orderlies working at the hospital, which Mark Spector was imprisoned by Amit. Another change. Yep. Though their cover stories might have changed, the MCU Bobby and Billy are, once again, serving as doing the servants of the Egyptian goddess. True. En route to the rendezvous with Mark Harrow, Bobby pulls out Mark Spector's Interpol file, revealing his extensive list of violence. So there really are cops, though. They're just cops working for the bad guy. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Mark's profile page also uh, proffers two great Marvel Easter eggs. Firstly, the case file was listed as 1975, the year Moon Knight debuted in Werewolf by Night, number 32. Secondly, the assignment agent is Nick Pepin, which honors a long-serving Marvel producer of the same name. Pepin has been the, with the French hands since Ma- Captain America Civil War and serves as manager of production and development, and on Moon Knight specifically. See, everyone gets their shot and mentions, Steve. Oh, absolutely. Where yeah. is mine? <laughs> <laughs> According to Bobby, Mark Spector is wanted for the execution of the archaeologists at a dig in Egypt, all of whom were brutally bound and shot. This backstory pulls directly from Mark's comic origin. Spector and Duchamp, who was referenced back in Moon Knight Episode 1, Joined the criminal Raoul Bushman for a job in Egypt, only for Bushman to promptly begin slaughtering a team of archaeologists. That's your explanation. Mark actually stepped into the to stop the atrocity. Moon Knight alludes to this when he tells Stephen, "It's not what you think." Yeah. <laughs> so we get a Yucatan reference from Arthur Harrow's comic story, turning Stephen Ground around is definitely not a cult HQ. Ethan Hawke's Arthur Harrow introduces Victor, a cult member who kindly provides with. The group with a lovely recipe for lentil soup. Harrow mentions Victor is from the Yucatan. And this line nods towards the 1985 Moon Knight number two, where Mark Spector hunts down the villain down and encased it, you guessed it, in Yucatan. They didn't revolve around their own mythology. What would they have? Yes. <laughs> so in attempting to sell uh, Ahmed's brand of preemptive justice to Stephen Grant, Arthur Harrow broaches the, the age-old baby Hitler debate. If you could travel back in time and murder Hitler as a child, would you? The MCU, of course, has addressed this matter before. After intervening in time travel in Avengers Endgame, Rhodey and Hulk engage in a back and forth over the uh, moral complexity of killing in a, in a time, like killing a baby, purple baby Thanos. Yeah. Despite this stance on the Mad Titan, War Machine might look uh, less cannily upon Arthur Harrow's philosophy. Yes, yeah, gets a little dodgy killing children. Yes. It Maybe you should wait till Hitler just becomes Hitler, and then, you know, yeah. in, the, in the axe. Before he has all the power. Right. Don't we get a little... Illusion to Agatha Harkness with the purple magic. Arthur Harrow summoned his jackal minion off screen in Moon Knight's episode one, but in episode finally shows the spell being cast. Yep, naturally you come from underground. Yep. And curiously, the magic Harrow uses a doppel- adopts a purple hue. Different types of magic are color coded in the MCU, and purple was previously established as dark magic by WandaVision's Agatha Harkness. 
maybe it's a coincidence or Marvel retconning its magic rules again, but it's similarly <laughs> does magic have rules, Steve? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> similarly, yeah. Could you confirm that just as Haro siphons his magic his magic from Amit, an Egyptian god, remember, Harkness was drawing hers from another god, such as the Kuthan. All that channeling going on. We may have gotten a reference to uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier, too. Uh, Stephen Grant's uh, Moon Knight and Layla battle around Arthur Harrow's Summon Jackal. A red London bus stands in the background. The billboard on the side bears the advertising for GRC. That's the Global Reparation Council as introduced in the Falcon and the Winter Soldier as an organization dealing with the aftermath of Thanos' snaps and missing 50% suddenly returning five years later. The Moon Knight Episode 2's GRC poster is a Disney Plus show, first proper connection to the MCU, finally grounding Oscar Isaac's character into the wider franchise lore. Hmm, what do you think of that, Steve? <laughs> Still not comfortable with it yet. <laughs> yeah, me too. I hope everyone caught this on the bus. It's the same bus, different Easter egg. Atop the vehicle's white roof is the code WBN0032. I think we all by now know that once you see a set of numbers or something, a little bell should be going off in your head. Yes, absolutely. Uh, <laughs> yeah, on the surface, this reference slips by as an unseemingly innocuous bus number. In reality, however, the combination of numbers and letters is a coded tribute to Moon Knight's comic debut of WBN0032 stands for Werewolf by Night, number 32, the very first appearance of Conchu's costume, Aaron Boy. And let's hope that's the last time. Yes. <laughs> Don't want to, you can't keep retreading that. Moon Knight Episode 1 already debuted his titular character's primary costume, a very similar design to the original comics, but Episode 2 reveals a lot more. When Stephen Grant summons the suit and plays the March Victor, the, his Moon Knight armor becomes an actual tuxedo with a Dr. Manhattan-esque mask over the entire head. <laughs> Gotta wonder why he adopted that. It was a little spooky. Yes, it was. <laughs> Whatever's going, up in, going on in Stephen's head, this design takes inspiration from Mr. Knight, a version of the hero introduced by Marvel in 2014's Warren Ellis and Declan Chevalny run. During this latest jackal scrap, Moon Knight uh, wields nightsticks and moon-shaped blade. Both can be found in the source material where the blades are crafted from adamantium, the same metal used by uh, Wolverine. All that stuff's not that rare after all. Uh, apparently not. It's not. Could Moon Knight's weapons bring the X-Men one step closer to the MCU debut? That's eh. possible. Possible. I'd rather see it in the movies, though. Like right. in the Fantastic Four or something like that, I guess. All right. One final uh, hint at Mark Spector's death that got hinted at in Episode 1. Finally letting Mark Spector share the screen with Khonshu, Mune in Episode 2 reveals the details of the pact between them and how the Egyptian god brought his soon-to-be avatar back from the de death in exchange for servitude. This revelation completes the original tale recounted earlier by Bobby. After Marvel's comics, Mark Spector defended the archaeologists from Ralph Bushman the criminal left his former mercenary colleague for dead, and Mark would have perished right there had he not stuck a bargain with Khonshu. Mark Moon Knight's latest crumbs of backstory suggest the same scenario as transpired in the live action also. Yeah, I'm glad they didn't retcon that. Yeah. Moon Knight suddenly hinted toward Mark's death in episode one when the young museum guest asked Stephen Grant about passing through the fields of reeds. Ha <laughs> ha. Clubber. <laughs> fun episode. Yeah, fun episode. Lots of, lots of Easter eggs. There's so much to digest on. Uh, I've watched it three times, and the first time, the first time, I would just laugh my way through it. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, you got to watch it several times. Watch it first time to enjoy it, and then the yeah. second, third, you're looking for Easter eggs and getting more into the story and not wanting to miss anything. 
at least it's an enjoyable rewatch. I mean, I've yes. got to watch a lot of episodes. It's just, it's just fun to watch all that physical comedy. Yeah. His take on Stephen Grant and then the power of Moon Knight's terrific. Yep. All right. Well, we'd love to hear your thoughts on each and every episode this season. Our deadline for feedback is 6 p.m. Eastern every Friday during the season. You can send your feedback via email or audio to contact us at fangirlzone.com. Please review and rate us on iTunes and any other platform you use for your podcast with good ratings and reviews. It helps other fans of the show find us as there's plenty of other Marvel podcasts out there and plenty of jackals underground, too. Yes. <laughs> think it's the same one every time or he just makes a new one? I kind of think it's the same one every time. Yeah. You can't really kill it. <laughs> yeah. Tell your friends and I hope you're enjoying our podcast and don't forget to check out the other great Fangirl Zone podcasts. Uh, please check out our webpage at www.fangirlzone.com and click on the contact link where you will find all the myriad ways that you can get a hold of us. So for this episode of the Marvelous Post Blip Podcast, I'm Steve. I don't know where to hold. Feels like riding with the Victorian Duchess. <laughs> you know what, Steve? It's what? better than hanging out with a weird crocodile lady. Yeah. <laughs> There is nothing wrong with your internet. Do not attempt to adjust your settings. We are controlling the podcast. We control the squealing and the screams. We can make your heart flutter, your eyes blur from tears, or sharpen your mind to crystal clarity. For the next hour, sit back. We are in control of what you hear. We repeat. There's nothing wrong with your setting. You are about to experience the awe and mystery known as the female mind. You are now entering the fangirl zone.